There is no one equal to Jesus. There is no one like Jesus. There is no one even alongside Jesus. Think about this. Despite not having electricity, despite not having media or social media, despite not having a public office or a public relations firm, he didn't have an attorney, he had no army, he, had, he didn't have a wife. Thank God I have a wife. I wouldn't be able to make it. Um, he had no children. He had no money, power. He, he, he had, didn't even have an office. Yet Jesus Christ is the most towering figure in human history. His three short years of traveling ministry, walking around, preaching mainly to fo uh, rural folks, including many illiterate um, peasants, without the benefit of internet or live streaming like, like we do, it changed the course of human history. Here we are almost 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about this man. Today, history is actually measured by Jesus. Jesus Christ, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Here's the big idea. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's talking about us, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who the, through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from slavery to deliver us from the fear of death. And today we're going to cover 21 reasons. 21 reasons why you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus and be free from the slavery of the fear of death because He has surely destroyed the one who, who wielded its power. That is the devil. Amen? That right there, i got 21 reasons to get through, so I can't get on rabbit trails today. But, that right there should answer a lot of questions for you. About why is there suffering? Why is there death in our world? Is it God that does it? No, it says that the devil is the one that has the power to, to wield death. And because of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to fear Him or death itself. Christianity all hinges on the fact of Jesus' resurrection. This is how our sins are forgiven. This is how our eternity is secure. This is how death is defeated. This is how we live in newness of life. But first of all, we need to divine what we're talking about. Resurrection. Resurrection. What does resurrection mean? Resurrection does not mean life after death. That's not the meaning of, of resurrection. But your spirit and your soul being reunited with your body to never die again. That's what resurrection is. Here are the steps needed for a, re for a resurrection. First, the spirit living in your body with your soul. You have to have your spirit living in your body with your soul. Your spirit is who you are. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. And your body, that's your earth suit. That's, that's, that's so we can dwell here in the, in the natural, on the earth. 
The next step is that you have to die. With your body going into the ground and your spirit and soul going before the, the Lord for judgment. And then step three, you return to life with your spirit and soul and body reunited to never die again. That is what resurrection is. You understand? This is not a near-death experience we're talking about. This isn't about you um, dying, seeing a bright light, seeing Uncle Herb, Elvis, and Jesus, and then coming back to life. Alright? This is, this is to die and then be raised from death to never die again. Sounds like a good deal, right? So I'm going to give you 21 reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Number one, Jesus died by execution from the ancient Roman governments. First, before we talk about proofs of his resurrection, we've got to prove that he died. You can't have a resurrection without a death, right? So he was beaten all night. He was scourged or flogged, he was, meaning he was whipped. And at that point, many, many men died just from the scourging alone. He was crucified, which was which the entire point of crucifixion was to kill a person. Right? And the, and the Romans were excellent at killing people. To assure that he was dead, a spear was run through his rib cage and it punctured his heart sack and water and blood flowed from his side. They pronounced him dead. They then wrapped him in upwards of a hundred pounds of burial linens and spices. They put him in a cold tomb, hewn out of rock. He was there without food, water, medical attention, and without a heart for three days. True or false? He's dead. So Jesus died. Number two, Jesus' resurrection was predicted by the Old Testament. Do you realize that there are over 300 prophecies in Old Testament Scriptures that are hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth and they all talk about who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do and, and there were promises that God gave so that we would know the Messiah when He came. And Jesus fulfilled them all. It's mathematically almost impossible but God to fulfill just eight for one person to fill eight of those promises. But Jesus filled them all. God knew that the coming of Jesus and the dying and raising of Jesus would be controversial. It's still controversial today. And, and, and it's so significant that He prepared people 1,000 years in advance to be ready for it. Here's one of those scriptures foretelling what would happen. Psalm 16.10 For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. For you will not leave my soul among the dead. So, somebody's going to die. And they're going into the grave, but they're not going to stay in the grave. Or you will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. How many are holy? One. Jesus Christ. And the Holy One, because He raised from the dead, now He makes us holy. 
Our holiness is dependent upon faith in Jesus Christ. Not your good works. Not your church attendance. Not your Bible reading. Not your moral code. But on faith of Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the Holy One and we are in Him and He is in us and He makes us holy. Well, Chad, why don't I act holy? That's a good question. You should ask yourself that more often. You are what you believe. And when you are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Amen? Praise the Lord forever. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that He would die. He would live without sin as the Holy One. He would die for our sin and He would be put into a grave and that body would not decompose. It would not be destroyed there. But instead, it would raise it would raise and defeat death. Number three, Jesus knew and told us that He would die and rise. Jesus knew exactly why He had come. He knew exactly why He would come. And He told us exactly how He would die and rise. We can read this example in Mark. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33, it says, See, this is Jesus talking. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him. We're talking about God here. And flog Him and kill Him. What does your God look like? A vengeful, wrathful God that's looking to destroy His enemies? or one that lays down his life for his enemies. We, there is no God that man has ever created that looks like the true God. And after three days, I will rise. Hallelujah. Of all the major religions, there is only one religion whose founder declared that he was God. Of all major religions. So stop coming and saying, all religion is the same. They're not even close. They're not even close. Jesus was the only one to say that He was God. And Jesus says, I am God. And what that triggered was the par- a partnership of religion and political leaders coming together and agreeing on one thing. That He was a threat. In declaring Himself to be God, He, he was exercising authority over all of them. Therefore, they executed Him. The entire reason, the only reason, that Jesus Christ was put to death is because He said that He was God. And that statement that Jesus Christ is God still rises up the pride in in human beings today. Still enrages. Because He's exercising authority over us. And he told them, he told his disciples, I know they're going to kill me because I say I'm God. And then I'll raise from the dead and I'll prove that I'm God. Everything hinges on Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus has not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. Number four, the tomb location was well known. The tomb of Jesus was well known. No. 
We were told in Scripture 700 years, this is one of those promises, those prophecies again, before Jesus ever walked the earth, in Isaiah 53, 9, it says, it was promised that his grave would be, quote, with a rich man in his death. How did Jesus get a rich man's tomb? Well, after he died, one of his followers, Joseph of Arimathea, um, who was an influential business leader and, a, and well known in the community, he had a tomb that he had purchased for himself, hewn out of rock, and he retrieved Jesus' body, he prepared it for burial, and he buried Jesus in his own tomb. This is why this guy had money. He knew a good investment. He knew, I can get in the Bible, give Jesus my tomb, He's only going to be there for a little bit. He's going to raise from the dead, and then I'll get to use it afterwards. What a great investment, right? Huh? So it was a tomb of a rich man that Jesus was in. And he gifted it to Jesus following his death. As a result, everyone knew exactly where Jesus was buried. See, he owned that piece of property. He owned that tomb. It was registered to his name. There was legal documentation of where it was. The owner was well known. He was an influential business person. He was rich. And he was still alive and available for questioning. Which takes us to number five. Number five, Jesus' tomb was guarded by the Roman government. The, uh, the governor, Pilate, told soldiers, hey, I hear that there could be something happening. There could be some sneaky stuff. Um, we're hearing rumors that, you know, that he's supposed to raise from the dead. And something, so we make sure nothing odd happens here. Uh, he put guards at the tomb of Jesus. So they rolled this large stone over the, over the tomb. And he established the guards to stay there 24-7. They never left the tomb. And if they left the tomb, it was penalty by death to ensure that the body was not tampered with. The point is this. Everyone knew where Jesus was buried. Joseph knew. The land plot was legally registered. The government knew. Everyone knew. It wasn't a secret. Women were the first to testify of Jesus' resurrection. On Sunday morning, the day of Jesus' resurrection, history records that the first eyewitnesses to the scene were female, not male. Why is that important? Because, because it goes to show the, how factual the story is. It's factual, not fictional. And how it was constructed, the story. That it was really a reality. See, in that day, in that day, the testimony of women was not held in as high of regard as men. Isn't it awesome that the Bible always liberates the oppressed? The Bible always liberates the oppressed. Anywhere where Scripture goes, anywhere where Christianity goes, women are always elevated to be side by side with men. And, and, and so this, the story goes that women were the first ones to testify of Jesus' resurrection. See, in that day, sometimes women weren't even allowed to testify in court. 
And men had, their, their testimony was, a man's testimony was over a woman's testimony. So if you're going to create a false story, or you're going to make fake news, right, that's today's, top, today's verbiage, fake news, you would create one that was more conceivable, one that was more believable. You would have eyewitnesses that were men, not women. The reason that it tells us that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women were present, it was because they were. It's how it happened. These women loved Jesus. They loved Him the most. They weren't fearful. They weren't hiding like the men. <laughs> so they were the first on the scene of the empty tomb. And God honors them by including them in the historical record. Number seven, Jesus' disciples were transformed from cowards to courageous. Previous to Jesus' Jesus's res resurrection, they had fear, not faith. They were cowards, not courageous. After He rose, everything changed, along with the world. They no longer feared death. I'll give you two examples. Number one, the leader of, uh, of Jesus' disciples was a name, man named Peter. As Jesus was arrested for being, um, and being prepared to be crucified, Peter was sort of observing from a distance, and they started questioning him. They started asking him, aren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you one of his friends? Didn't you follow Jesus? And he completely denied knowing Jesus. He completely denied it. I never met him. Don't know him. Don't know who you're talking about. Because Peter was afraid of death. But after Jesus died and rose, he reunited, he reunited himself back to Peter. And he restored Peter back into ministry. And after that moment, Peter no longer feared death because he knew he knew that Jesus had defeated it. And on the other side of death awaited His Savior. So throughout His life, He's preaching, He's teaching, He's writing books, He's being persecuted. And as He became an old man, history outside the Bible says that government leaders came to Him and they basically said Christianity is growing too large, too fast, it's getting too big, too powerful. And there are too many Christians. And you seem to be the leader. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to deny Christ and end Christianity. And Peter, and, 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 and they said, you know, it's, this shouldn't be too hard for you, Peter. We know that you've denied them before. So it shouldn't be any problem to deny him again. You just need to do it again. And he said, I cannot deny Jesus. He's raised from the dead. They said, well, you have two choices. You deny Jesus, or we crucify you. And Peter said, hang me upside down. I am not worthy to be murdered like my Lord. And I no longer fear death, because I know who awaits me on the other side. Friends, the worst thing in life is not to die. The worst thing in life is to die without knowing Jesus. 
If you know Jesus, this life is as close as hell as you're ever going to get. But if you don't know Jesus, this life is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. There was another who was transformed from fearful to faithful and from cowardly to courageous. And his name was Thomas. And he said, after hearing that Jesus raised from the dead, he said, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. He was like a lot of people, a bit more skeptical. skeptical. Yeah. He needed more facts. He needed evidence. So Thomas went in your place. He saw the risen Lord, and Jesus said to him, Feel free to investigate. Here are my scars. It is I. They had been, they had been friends for three years. It, it had been a relationship where Jesus was a pastor to him, and they, were, they did life together. So Thomas knew this is Jesus, and he, he is back from the dead, and he fell to the ground and worshipped him, saying and declaring, My Lord and my God. Thomas also went to be martyred for his testimony that Jesus resurrected from the grave. Understand something. The reason why the, the, the early disciples were persecuted and martyred was because of their testimony that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And understand, see, we like to hijack words. The word martyr is not like we describe it today. People say someone's a martyr when they go into a school or a hospital or, or a shopping mall and blow themselves up for their faith. That is not martyrdom. That's murder. A martyr is someone that is murdered for their faith. Murdered for their faith. And these men were murdered for their faith. For the, and their faith was that Jesus Christ raised from the dead how many of you would be murdered for a lie? How many of you would live a life of persecution for a lie? For something that you knew did not happen? The, uh, the history outside the Bible tells us that Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips. Thomas went for those who have doubts and he confirmed that Jesus has defeated death. Number eight, Jesus' resurrection was not private. It was public. After Jesus rose from the dead, his death, he appeared to crowds, upwards of 500 people over a course of 40 days. This was not a secret. This was well known. Over the course of 40 days, if people said, well, I'm not sure. I heard Jesus rose. I'm not sure I believe that. They're like, hey, he's at Cracker Barrel. He eats breakfast every morning. Go ask him for yourself. Go check it out. Jesus, Jesus was, was very public after his resurrection. And he, again, he appeared to crowds of upwards of 500 people at one time. People gave him hugs. They asked him questions. They checked out his scars. People had meals with him. He was, it was very public. And he was very much alive. Number nine, Jesus' followers remain loyal to him. You need to understand that, that, that the way that Jesus died was crucifixion. The entire, the entire 
point of crucifixion was state-sponsored terror. It's like a jihadist publicly beheading someone and live-streaming it on the internet. It's all about striking fear. It's all about striking fear. The, the, basically, the whole point was to get their leader, to destroy them, and in any sort of influence that they might have on people. If you can get rid of the leader, you can scatter the followers. And so, this was done openly, publicly, shamefully, yet after Jesus' crucifixion, his followers remained faithful and loyal to him. This is the question. How or why would you follow a liar? Why would you follow a liar? Why would you follow a dead man? Why would you give everything to someone who can do nothing for you? It makes no sense. Unless Jesus rose. Unless Jesus rose. So they were faithful and they were loyal to Him as we are today. Every single one of Jesus' disciples, including the Apostle Paul, there's historical, uh, uh, historical writings outside of the Bible saying the gruesome ways each one of them died because of their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who does that? Especially when they were there. They knew it. They seen it. They seen Him put in the tomb. They seen Him crucified. And the reason why they continue to say law to Him is because they seen Him raised from the dead. Number 10. Jesus' tomb was not enshrined. When someone that we love dies, we memorialize it, don't we? Have you ever been driving down the interstate, down the road or something, and you've seen a cross and some flowers by the side of the road, and people are memorializing. It's a memorial along the highway when they have lost a loved one there. Right? We have cemeteries. On Veterans Day, you know, if you go to the cemetery, those that have served will be memorialized with a flag, and rightly so. Right? When someone whose holy dies, their tomb is enshrined. And people make sacred pilgrimages there as religious observances. So there are four major world religions founded by a person. And three of the four, we know exactly where they were buried. In the upper left, you have Judaism, founded by Abraham. That's his burial place in Hebron. I truthfully believe that Abraham would be a Christian if he was alive today. It's a tourist site. In the upper right, Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, is buried there in India. And again, it's a place for pilgrimages. It's a place for those that are Buddhist to worship. The bottom left, that is the burial place of Muhammad, the founder of Islam in Medina. And they know exactly where he was buried. Where is Jesus buried? Where is Jesus buried? We have no idea. We have no idea today. 
You know why? He's not there. He's not there. So no one cares. No one cares. For Jesus, I mean, his, his tomb was more like a hotel. He checked in for the weekend and checked back out. It was a weekend stay. He's not there. So people don't keep going back to memorialize it. Right? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if they knew where Jesus was buried, if they knew where Jesus was buried, you'd know about it. And when you went there to see it, they charge you 20 bucks, 40 bucks to go see it. Right? People would love to know where Jesus was buried so they could charge you. Jesus' followers worshipped Him as God. Number 11. Jesus' initial followers were largely devout Jewish people. You have to understand, you have to understand how Judaism operated. They were very committed to their belief system for generations. They were taught it from a young age. They were very committed to their traditions. They were devout Jews. And devout Jews do not just pick a new God. The first two of the Ten Commandments which summarize the heart of Judaism are there is only one God and you shall only worship Him alone. So you just don't pick a new God or you don't just start worshiping Him in a new way because if you do, you go to hell. You understand that? Jesus was Jewish. They saw Him as a fulfillment to the Old Testament promises. And as a result, they began worshiping Him as God. So now, they're not just singing songs to God, they're singing songs to Jesus as God. They're not just praying to God, they're praying to God through Jesus as God. Why would you do that for a dead man? Why would you do that for a dead man who claimed to be God? That would mean that he was a false prophet and a liar. See, Jesus, some people think that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Jesus says he was God. Jesus says he was going to raise from the dead. So you can't say that Jesus was just a good teacher. He's either a lunatic, he's either a liar, or he's God. You cannot say that he's just a good teacher. Why would you do that for a dead man? The only reasonable explanation is his resurrection. Amen? Jesus' Jesus's family worshipped him as God. <laughs> How many of you couldn't get your families to start a religion for you? How many of you, if, I, if, 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 if they said, hey, if I said, hey, hey I'm sinless. Just ask my mom. She'd be like, don't ask me. I spent that boy every day. Right? He was naughty. And so nobody, know, nobody knows you as well as your family does. And, and if you could fool some people, you can't, you can't fool your family. You can't fool your brother. How many of you, how many of you, if, if, if 
your public repetition was dependent on your brothers, it would not be a good thing. And, and you would never stand up and say, I, I'm without sin. I'm God. Just ask my brothers. Your brothers would come forward and say, it's the devil. It's not the Lord. I grew up with the devil. Right? And so when Jesus initially declares himself to be God, um, we, we read in Scripture that his family comes to him and tries to take him home. They think that he's lost his mind. And he says, no, I'm God. And they're like, come home, son. Come home, brother. And instead, after he raises from death, they convert. We see in the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, the first 120 Christians are gathered and Mary, Jesus' own devout Jewish mother, is there worshiping her son as Savior and God. In addition, it mentions his brothers, James and Jude. James and Jude are Jesus' brothers. They testify that he's per he was perfect and he rose from death. They become pastors. They write two books of the Bible bearing his names, James and Jude. And they die as a martyr's death without ever disowning the resurrection of their brother because they knew that he was also their Savior. Amen. Number 13. Jesus' followers changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. When God created the heavens and the earth, it tells us in Genesis, six days He worked and on the seventh day He rested. That was Saturday. So the Jewish life was built around a seven-day week with one day, of a, which was Saturday, as the Sabbath. If, if, you, if you know about Jewish people, or if you've been to Israel, they're very strict about the Sabbath. I heard one, one person tell me when they visited Israel that they got into an elevator on the Sabbath and they got their hands slapped because they went to push the button on the elevator. All of the, on the Sabbath, the elevator stops at every floor. Because that's work to push that button. They're very strict about the Sabbath. And, and, and their entire schedule, their entire routines revolved around the Sabbath. But once Jesus rose from, the de from death, the original believers who were largely Jewish traditional Sabbath holders, they ch changed it, their, their, their worship day, from Saturday to Sunday. Why? That was the day Jesus resurrected. And they started to call it the Lord's Day. Because it was the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've got to realize what a massive transition this was. We're going to change our business schedule. We're going to change our school schedule. We're going to change our personal schedule. We're going to uh, transition our entire nation from one day to another. That makes no sense apart from a resurrection. Number 14, Jesus' followers 
practice communion and baptism. We're going to take communion at the end of the service today. There are two major sacraments about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Communion reminds us of His broken body and His shed blood for us. Jesus says, when you partake, remember that the bread represents my broken body and the wine represents my shed blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Baptism shows us the resurrection of Jesus. Christians have always been baptized. And it shows that Jesus died and rose for me. And, and by me being baptized, I'm demonstrating what He has done for me. I die with Christ and I'm raised to new life. I'm trusting that He rose. And because He rose, I will rise. And as He got up from the grave, I'll get up from the grave. I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm going to be like Jesus. And I'm going to be for Jesus forever. Baptism doesn't save you, but it shows how Jesus saves you through His death, burial, and resurrection. Why would you have something that your whole belief system is, it hinges on the resurrection of Jesus if He never rose. Baptism is a publicly declaring, I believe in Jesus and I belong to Jesus. Number 15, Jesus' enemy, Paul, was converted. Paul, whose name originally was Saul, that's what happens a lot of times when people meet Jesus. He transforms them so much that they, they even get a new name. Paul hated Christians. And then he became a Christian. He hated Christ, and then he loved Christ. He went from a jihadist against Jesus to a servant of Jesus. How does this happen? That one man who devotes his whole life to harassing, arresting, and even murdering Christians, then himself is suffering and dying for Christ. Well, it's because he saw the risen Jesus. And he realized that he was wrong. That man went on to write the majority of the books in the New Testament more than any other author. And how, and, and how do you explain? How do you explain one man who hates someone and something so deeply and then loves someone and something so completely? Apart from a resurrection, it makes no sense. The Apostle Paul was persecuted. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was stoned to death and came back alive. He was imprisoned. And he ultimately was beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ, his risen Lord. Number 16, Jesus' resurrection was recorded in the Scripture shortly after it occurred. Sometimes what happens is people say, well, there was a guy, his name was Jesus, he probably, he probably lived, he probably was a nice guy, he didn't say he was God, surely, surely he didn't rise from the dead, probably never did no miracles. But then many decades, generations later, this myth occurred and, 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 um, where Jesus was God and that he rose from the dead and, and it's just a made-up story. 
It is a false narrative that was created and constructed. But the truth is, the time from Jesus' resurrection to the beginning of the writing of those New Testament reports was just a few short years. There's not a significant amount of time to, to, to come up with fake narratives to be created. Why? Because the people that seen Jesus raised from the dead were still alive to defute it. If it was a lie. You understand that? Additionally, 1 Corinthians 15 says, the eyewitnesses were still alive. And people who saw it gave testimony that, it, that, that its record in the New Testament was accurate and true. It was not a myth that was constructed. Jesus' resurrection is unique in history. Some will say, well, this is a lot of Bible. Is there any evidence outside the Bible that Jesus, outside the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, we're looking at a lot of cause and effect reasons to believe. But yes, there, there are additional ancient historians in the historical sources outside of scriptures that reported the resurrection of Jesus. For time's sake, I'll give you one. Christianity was growing and the church was exploding. And so the Roman government wanted to know, hey, who are these Christians? And what do they believe? And who is their founder? What is it all about? So there was a historian, his name, he was Jewish, Jewish well regarded, and his name was Josephus. He was born right around the time of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, or shortly thereafter. And they sent him to go and investigate. Here is his report. About this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if one indeed ought to call him a man. For he was one, wrought, one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people that accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and Greeks. He was the Christ, or chosen anointed one. When Pilate, that is the political leader, upon hearing him uh, accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had him condemned to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. He says, what's weird is that he did miracles and he taught and he, and he said he was the Christ and then they killed him and the people still loved him and they still follow him. Here's why. He says, quote, on the third day he appeared to them restored to life. That's Easter Sunday. That's why we're here today. For the, pro for the prophets of God have prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tri tribe of the Christians, so-called after him, still has not to this day disappeared. The report is, here's who the Christians are. They follow a guy named Christ. We killed him. He came back. He did miracles. He taught people. He defeated death. And the Christians were really excited about that. And let me ask you, are you still excited about that today? Amen. Number 18. There was no concept of individual resurrection prior to Jesus' resurrection. There were, there were three primary, primary 
cultural groups that we want to deal with. The first were the Jews. They had a concept of all of God's people being raised at the end time, not one person in the middle of time. It comes out of the Old Testament. Daniel 12, 2. Multitudes that sleep in the earth will arise. Some in everlasting life, which is heaven. Others to everlasting death, which is hell. They had no concept of individual resurrection within Jewish, the Jewish community. And then the prominent philosophy of the day was Greek. And it was undergirded, and that philosophy undergirded the ancient Roman Empire. And so, and so the Greeks, as far as the Greeks were concerned, not only did they disbelieve in bodily resurrection, they didn't even like the idea. Let me give you a simple analogy. Um, let's say that you had a candy bar and you gave it to your kid. Would the kid be excited about the wrapper or the candy bar? They'd be excited about the candy bar, right? Not the wrapper. See, the whole point is to get rid of the wrapper and to get, rid of, get to what matters most in the Greek mindset. For the Greeks, they were dualistic. They believed that the material and physical was bad. Some Christians take up that kind of philosophy also. But God says when He created the earth, He says it was all good. Right? They believe that the material was good, was bad, and the, and the physical was bad, and the spiritual and the immaterial was good. So the whole point was to get rid of the body and live in your spirit and soul. The last thing you wanted, would ever want is your body back. So the philosophy of the Greeks didn't even entertain the notion of a re resurrection. There was no desire for it whatsoever. The third category is some, some would say, I heard that the pagans had some kind of concept of, of that sounded like a resurrection. Did Christians steal it from them? Two things. Number one, if you read the reports from pagan mythology and, and their religions, they sound more like a DC or a Marvel movie more than something that actually happened. Right? They were fan, fans, fanciful, yeah, fantasy. They're not historical. They're not actually actual people. Secondly, the pagans didn't start creating the equivalent to a res resurrection myth until after Jesus' resurrection. They stole it, just like everything in this, in this world, they steal it from us. They steal it from Christians. They, they steal it from Jesus. Christians did not steal it from them historically. Number 19. You guys know we're coming in. We're getting close. I said 21, we're on 19, right? Jesus' resurrection defies any potential alternate, alternative explanation. The burden of proof, the burden of proof is here's all the reasons to believe. If you like to say I don't believe it, well, what's, what's your better explanation? What's your better explanation? Give me a better reason. Not to believe. There have been three alternative explanations historically. 
the number one that was given in the early days of Jesus' resurrection is that they said that his disciples stole the body. They said that the disciples stole the body. What's interesting is that they've found video, video footage of Jesus' disciples planning to steal Jesus' body. And we just happen to have it here today. Check it out. I need 100% participation for this to work. Yeah, everyone's here. All 12, 11, 11 of us. Well, what's the plan? Well, as you know, Jesus is dead. But stick with me, stick with me, okay? Stick with me. I have a plan. We are going to steal his body. Okay, okay, I'm tracking with you. What's next? And then, we're going to tell the whole world that he rose from the dead. Oh, oh you know I'm in. I look already. <laughs> all right, classic, classic, then what? And then, we're all going to get brutally murdered. Oh! Wait, 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 come again, come again. Could you go over that last part real, real quick? Now what? We get murdered. What's the problem? Uh, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, Peach. I love me a good hoax as much as the next guy, right? right? Uh, oh, what's in it for us? Do we all get riches, fame, and fortune first, right? No, no, get this. You're going to be hated, hated, persecuted, and reviled for the rest of your life. Oh! Okay, guys. Fellas, 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 uh, look, uh, I, I, I'm kind of missing something here, right? Okay? I mean, uh, why on earth would we do this? Can, can we start over? Oh, okay, we'll start from the beginning. Everybody, for John, yeah. the beloved disciple. So, okay, we go down to Jesus' tomb. I, sounds good. It's yeah, really easy. Then... We pay off the Roman soldiers that are guarding the tomb with their lives. Why, why would they do that? Then we somehow roll away the big stone that's in front of the tomb. Obviously, you have to move the rock first. Yeah. And then we steal his body. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess. Then we tell the whole world that he rose from the dead. And we get brutally murdered for our trouble. Then we all get killed. Come on. When do we see ourselves become exalted in praise? That's just it. You don't! What is happening? Anyone hear what I'm saying? This is the most idiotic plan of all time. Chill out, bro. I mean, do I really have to explain the joke to you? Look. It's that we lie about Jesus' resurrection, and then, we all die! Okay, look, back me up here. I know you can't be cool with all this. I know you gotta have some doubts! Come on, doubts? Yeah. I'll never have any doubts! Shake it!
here. I'd rather be exiled to a deserted island than spend another minute with you wackos. Have I got some good news for you? We can thank the Babylon Bee for that. My dad. But as goofy as that was, that's how goofy you would have to believe that the disciples actually stole Jesus' body. And this is the number one argument against Jesus raising from the dead. First of all, it was a tomb guarded by the government. So they didn't steal it. And if they did steal it, my question is, how did they make it alive? Right? It, it, it'd be, it's like you told me that Elvis, that they stole Elvis's body. And I'd be, oh, that's interesting. But then if you told me he's back in Vegas and he's doing concerts, I'd be like, that's really interesting. Right? How did they make, a, make Jesus back alive? The second option that skeptics give is that he didn't die on the cross, that he just fainted. So we're supposed to believe that Jesus was beaten all night, crucified, and then had a spear ran through his heart, then wrapped in a hundred pounds of burial linens and spices, and then they put him in a tomb. Three days later, he woke up without a heart, he, he uh, somehow unwrapped himself from all his burial wrappings. He stood on his crucified feet. He walked over to a large stone and moved it with his crucified hands. Then he overwhelmed the guards. Then he walked into town and he told everybody, Look how healthy I am. Come on. The third option that skeptics give is that, believe, that, 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 unbel that, that, that it was all a mass hallucination. And we know, with the legalization of marijuana, that this can't be true. Right? When you have a, a hallucination, is it public or is it private? Right? It's private. A hallucination is private. It's not a public. You don't have mass hallucinations. Right? It's like, dude, do you see that purple dinosaur over there? No, that's just you. That's just you and the edibles, man. It, 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 you, some of you don't think it's funny, but it is. There cannot be a mass hallucination. If there was a public event, it cannot be a hallucination. It is reality. Number 20. Jesus' church has stood the test of time. On the day that Jesus was crucified, two guys died. We do not know the names of the other two guys. Why don't we have holidays for them? Why didn't we start a religion for them? There's not a global movement for them. Because three men died and only one man rose. And his name is Jesus Christ. And in the, in the wake of His resurrection comes the church. The biggest movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world. Today, billions of people on earth are worshiping Jesus Christ as 
their only God and Savior. Easter is Resurrection Sunday. More songs have been sung about Him. More paintings have been painted of Him. More books have been written regarding Him. More lives have been devoted to Him than any other one that has lived in the history of the world. We measure time by Him. B.C. and A.D. Today, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if He is dead, the church does not exist. But the church is alive 2,000 years later because Jesus Christ is still alive and forevermore. Amen? In 21, Jesus is alive and still changes lives. I appeal to you in this room, has Jesus Christ changed your life? Is there anyone in this room that Jesus Christ has changed your life? Yes! There are billions of people on the earth worshiping Jesus, and they're all saying, He changed my life. He's not dead. The question is, well, if, if, if He's dead, then who's changing everybody's life for 2,000 years? Right? If you don't like your life, come to Jesus and let Him change it. I want all of us to have a testimony how Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, has changed your life. Jesus makes you new. You get a new mind. You think differently. You get a new heart. You feel differently. You get new desires. So you choose differently. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changed my life. I stand before you today a man that has been radically transformed by the life of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't be married today. I don't know if I'd be alive today. I wouldn't have my kids. I'd be a prideful, arrogant, mean, expletive person. Jesus transformed me. And there are so many. There's people in this room that you know what type of person you'd be and where your life would be today if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. Jesus has only been good to me. Jesus has only been good to me. He has forgiven all my sins. He has healed all my hurts. He overcomes my failures. He has led me and guided me. And He has redirected me. Jesus Christ has only and always been good to me. And the longer I walk with Him, the more incredible He seems. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. And Jesus is alive. And loves you. And, and He's ready to receive you and to give you a new life with Him. Hallelujah. This is Resurrection Sunday.
This is our celebration. This is why this one day transforms the 364 days. Amen. I was just checking. Amen. Amen. What an awesome Savior. What an awesome God we serve. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.